Welcome to the Global Math Department. My name is Amanda Risky, and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight, we're going to hear from Natalie Holloman about Girls with STEAM, finding opportunities to enrich and empower girls in education. Would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window, telling us what you teach, where, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. Before I introduce and turn over, uh, over everything to our speaker, let me explain a little bit about how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available a few hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, come back to the same URL. The Global Math Department community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll catch your questions for the presenter, so don't worry that she won't notice it in the chatter. We'll get it get to those questions in the question and answer portion at the end. Tonight, our speaker is Natalie Holloman, the Executive Director of Girls with STEAM. She brings to the table a raw, cutting edge, and above all, innovative approach to preparing students for their futures and supporting educators throughout their careers. In academia, she has obtained a BSE in Math and Science Education and MSE in Gifted and Talented, and a specialist degree in P-12 Educational Leadership. As a lifelong learner and an avenue to pursue one of her passions, she achieved credentials in massage therapy. She is currently finishing her last semester as a PhD candidate at Texas Tech University, focused on global STEM education. Building on the creative spirit that exudes throughout her journey as a STEM educator, she founded Girls with STEAM, a nonprofit organization that, organi that provides young ladies with opportunities to engage creatively with STEAM curriculums. Natalie appreciates and shares with listeners that leadership in the field of education is a moment-to-moment -moment choice and not about a title, tenure, or position, but one of necessity, making the best decision for students foremost. As an author, she writes on issues of intersectionality using critical theory as a lens in professional journals, which equips educators with proven tools for success in the field. 
Natalie is a national leader in the educational community and a sought out speaker in the area of education, mathematics, educational leadership, equity in the field, and global STEM collaborations. Natalie uses her frank and no-nonsense three-step approach to leading in the field of education to enrich, educate, and enhance the lives of students and educators each and every day. As a lover of life, Natalie enjoys playing tennis, spending time with family, and experiencing new opportunities in new spaces. Welcome, Natalie. We are excited to learn from you this evening, and I'll let you take it away from here. Hi, Amanda. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Thank you for checking. Awesome. Well, welcome to Girls with STEAM, finding opportunities to enrich and empower girls in education. Uh, I appreciate the introduction. I know that was a mouthful. We'll go ahead and get started. Uh, I always like to start with our call for collective action, which is something that is developed within the mathematics community that I'm sure many of you all are familiar with. Uh, our call for collective action for equity and social justice in education states, how might we, the mathematics education community, make a difference in the teaching and learning of mathematics that promote rich, rigorous, and relevant mathematical experiences for all students? What key actions should we consider? Now, with that being stated, I wanted to give you all a rundown of our agenda. First things first, I wanted to kind of welcome you. And uh, also, uh, Amanda shared that you all were to put in the chat where you're coming from, where you're located. And I appreciate that, Amanda. Uh, that's one of the awareness uh, that I wanted to see if we could engage in. So we've already did that part. We'll look at something that speaks volumes to us. We'll look at a challenge. Focus on research theories associated with girls and gender conflict theory, also math identity. We'll go to Beyonce for empowerment of the girl, and then we'll look at some tools as suggestions for the future. So I wanted to know where you all are currently globally. Uh, so if you haven't already, if you could just put where you are located, your physical location in the chat, uh, at this time, and I, I noticed that we had several people uh, when I was looking at the chat from the East Coast, so I know it's, what, 9 o'clock there, so uh, I appreciate you all hanging in there towards the end of this uh, day for me to participate in this uh, presentation. We also had a few people, I know I saw California, so we have West Coast, and then I saw Missouri and Texas, Illinois, which is wonderful. I always like to get an idea of where people are from or where they are currently located. Also, that time difference is something that I always consider as well. Let's take about five more seconds to get that in. So uh, Amanda did a wonderful job introducing me. Uh, I am a North Little Rock, Arkansas native, and those two handsome boys you all see there are my two precious jewels, Tyler and Taylor. Uh, those are my precious jewels, uh, Jim and Jewel, uh, that I hold very dearly. Those are my personal children. 
<laughs> and the ones that I educate outside of the school. Uh, I did attend A-State, and I'm currently at Texas Tech University, the double T's. There's a picture of me, and uh, I'll see if I can get my camera going so I can uh, share with you all uh, myself now. Let's see if I can get that going. So hi, everyone. I appreciate you all being here. I don't look too different from that picture, but I did want to share with you all uh, my current picture. Uh, 2020, we are in quarantine here in the United States of America. So we are self-quarantining. I hope everyone is safe there. So looking at this picture, I wanted to see if you all could just type in the chat box, what do these advertisements speak to you? So when you look at this advertisement, these, these two advertisements, what speaks out to you? Hey, you all did a great job unpacking that. I noticed that many of you all caught on to the girls' bag. Chloe's bag is tough as long division. And then the young man, Matthew, his bag is uh, superhero tough. Uh, so uh, these we consider to be messages that are sent to students. And we're going to get into these types of messages and what they might uh, you know, share with different genders. What will it share with young ladies and what does it share with young men in terms of these messages that are sent? have a video for you all.
All right, so we're back. That was a Verizon uh, ad that is trying to uh, illuminate some of the histories associated with gender as it relates to STEM, especially math and science. So I mentioned that we will talk about micro messages. These are small, subtle, semi-conscious messages that we send and receive when we interact with others. And the micro inequities are those messages that actually are negative messages that kind of tear students down. It does not build them up. It gives them this sense of devalue, uh, offense, discouragement. And these are the type of messages that we tend to try to steer away from in classrooms. Opposed to the micro affirmations, these are positive messages that build students up, that encourages them, that lets them know that they are an asset in the classroom or in the organization. Now, recently, I was introduced to a new term, this macro messages. And these macro messages refer to what's not stated related to the context. So uh, a great example uh, is Sardrona Truth's Ain't I a Woman speech. And she talked about, ain't I a woman? Uh, you say that a woman shouldn't uh, have to uh, do a or B, but ain't I a woman? Because she was not referred to as a person that could do A or B in her speech. And so when you leave out this total person, it sends an even more damaging message, uh, more so than a micro message. This is a macro message. So looking at doctoral degrees earned by women over uh, the span of these years, 67 to 2017, uh, we look at why this is so important. Now, we know that learning math or STEM disciplines is not always associated with, uh, you know, getting a degree or getting the best job. Uh, we want to do what's best for students. And that's the main purpose for uh, our, our efforts in ensuring that we are making the best choices for girls in our classroom. But looking at this data, we'll see that uh, in terms of mathematics, it's kind of staggered. Uh, it's grown a bit, but it's still uh, under 50%. So if these are the doctoral degrees earned by women, the opposite is that earned by men. And so uh, we find out through research that girls usually starting at fourth grade, they have a high interest for mathematics. They are really engaged in mathematics and they like mathematics, they're interested in it. But by the time they get through high school and into college, somewhere along the line, uh, that pipeline dwindles for those young ladies being engaged and interested in, in tune to the mathematical sciences. So we like to turn to sociologists to kind of get an idea of uh, what's really going on in our society. This is one great, uh, Karl Marx. He said, a house may be large or small as long as the neighboring houses are likewise small. It satisfies all social requirement for residents. But let there arise next to the little house a palace and the little house shrinks to a hut. So when we're thinking about 
equity and equality in mathematics education, especially with girls versus boys, we always want to look at what are we doing to encourage students, not just boys and girls, but what are we doing to encourage students in the mathematics classroom? And are we putting forth our best effort in ensuring that we're not leaving our girls behind? One thing that I am very passionate about is looking at accelerated mathematics. In those classrooms, who do you usually see? Time after time, uh, there are more boys in those classrooms than girls. And so that alone sends a message to me that maybe we're not um, looking for the qualities that girls possess to contribute to that mathematics accelerated class in a positive way. So thinking about sociologists, we always want to also look at where does the girl fall into this? And so when we're looking at that, we turn to one of the first women sociologists, uh, Harriet Martindale. And so when we think of the origins of sociology and all its founders, we often think of men such as Karl Marx and others. That's because when sociology was becoming an academic discipline, women didn't have the same access to education that men did. Okay, so I think that's a fact. And it's considered uh, uh, improper in the 19th century for women to write articles and contribute to academia, give talks in public, things of that nature. And so this continued for decades, I mean decades, not allowing female students in, in colleges in the 1970s. Uh, it raised a very important question. Why do women and men get treated differently? differently, not just in society, but also in education? So this is a question that sociologists really look into and can answer. This brings me to gender conflict theory. This theory applies to the principles of conflict theory to the relations among genders. Specifically, it looks at how social structures perpetuate gender inequities. Now, for years, our society looks, looks at each gender uh, as taking on tasks that, best, that are best suited for them you know, the roles in a, a household. But many modern day sociologists don't share this view, okay? So things are changing, even genders are changing. And so we have to always consider uh, our current norm and how we can make sure that we're contributing to uh, the best environment for students. So as we continue on, uh, you know, I always think about, uh, in terms of this diverse classroom, that diversity brings so much to the mathematics arena. You know, I'm referring back to Rochelle Gutierrez, who is a scholar in the mathematics community uh, out of, I think, uh, Chicago area, University of Illinois, maybe. And she has told people that, um, you know, for years we've told students, you need math. You need math to get a good job. You need math to uh, have a great career, uh, just to function in your normal day-to-day. -day. You need math. Well, Rochelle Gutierrez has a different stance. She brings up this idea of people don't need mathematics. Mathematics actually needs people. And I really like that because it tells us that um, 
really, to be honest, in order for mathematics to uh, mathematics education in general to continue efficiently and successfully and rapidly, we need diverse perspectives of various people at those tables making those decisions. So unpacking girls in education, uh, I was led to this conceptual framework that focus on education and girls in education specifically. Now, when we think about girls in our classroom, we might not think of this huge web. <laughs> and that's why I love research because it brings in a different lens for us to look at. Now, I know uh, that it's maybe a little challenging to see this because it's so small, but I wanted you to look at the various aspects that girls bring with them to the classroom. Uh, they have to look at the ethnicity, the role of education in society, the in-school processes, uh, also educational policies and social class. All of these come together to unpack what girls bring with them to the mathematics classroom. So sociologists' understanding of society wouldn't be complete without women and feminists who started the conversation about gender as an academic field of study. Now, I am an avid NCTM conference goer. I attend often. And I'm saddened that we want to be in Chicago, but I am glad that we will be safe. When I did attend a regional conference, uh, I went to the presentation of Annie Perkins. And Annie Perkins did a presentation uh, entitled, Mathematicians Are Not Just White Dudes. And I, this made us really think about, uh, you know, who are the mathematicians that we're most familiar with? And she posed this question, this came from her presentation, uh, and this is actually what all of the math uh, professionals in the room uh, sent to this thought bubble that she created. Okay, so all of the math educators in the room were asked, uh, you know, who are, what, name some mathematicians. So, of course, the bigger names are those that were uh, submitted most, Pythagoras, uh, Euclid, Euler. So all of these names uh, are mostly men. You know, and, it, you know, sometimes when we're saying these things, we're thinking, well, we definitely talk about women in the classroom. But when we're thinking about the mathematicians of, of this content area, uh, we we're thinking specifically, initially, of these various men. So she shared with us some of the mathematicians that she shared in this project with her students. So these are just a few that she had in her presentation. And I thought, what a wonderful idea. I actually unpacked this presentation and did it in my own school for which I was a math specialist of. Uh, and these are from the school that I actually engaged students in the project. And these are from the students that I actually engaged. These are some of the mathematicians that they included in their project. But I thought um, definitely it would mean and 
have more value for students if they were able to recognize uh, various mathematicians. So I asked them to come up with some, uh, find some local mathematicians who were not just white guys. Uh, so they were able to pick uh, various ethnicities of men that were not white. They were also able to pick all women, you know, every race and ethnicity of, of a woman. And so these are just a few. Uh, Dr. Linda Griffith, she's a statewide national name uh, here in Arkansas. Dorothy McFadden Hoover, she is a hidden figure in Arkansas. She uh, created the, the wings on the naval uh, combat ships uh, and planes, excuse me. And then Lula Williams. Lula Williams is a mathematician uh, here in the central Arkansas area. And so this was just an idea of how we can embed this project into our classroom. All right, so it also allowed all students to look at mathematicians a little differently, you know, just kind of have a different lens as it relates to who could be and who are mathematicians. So why are these projects important? Okay, why are projects like uh, mathematicians are not just white dudes so important? That's a question that I believe is worth answering. Uh, for sure, it broadens your horizons in terms of what is capable, what is possible. And if you are sitting in a seat and not a white dude, you could be a mathematician too. So here we have Beyonce, and we all know her song, uh, you know, Girls Run the World. And we know for sure that Girls don't run the world, but it's important that girls are a part of running the world. Okay, so when we're thinking about um, girl empowerment, we want to really embed and, and, and plant seeds into young ladies, into girls, that we can see the fruit come out you know, at that time and then in the future. And so our goal is to really empower them in a way that encourages them to not limit their perspective, not limit their, uh, their aspirations. Because I believe if girls wanted to, they could, in that chart that we saw, have more so uh, doctoral degrees in the STEM in, in math sciences area. Now, another reason, this kind of goes back to what Rochelle Gutierrez mentioned about how people don't need math, math needs people. Jameson is cited here in this 2016 article explained that the primary treatment for breast cancer was a mastectomy or a removal of the breast. Now, however, during the conversations of testicular cancer, there was no suggestion of removal of the testicles. She alluded to the fact that most doctors were men, but as more women became oncologists, the perception about the best treatment expanded with mastectomy being a last resort 
not the first choice. So having more women at the table changed that discussion about how to treat breast cancer. All right. So thinking about this, you know, you say, well, this is a scientific example and this is a math workshop, Miss Miss Natalie. Uh, actually, mathematics is involved in all of this. Uh, just now we are engaged in a pandemic. How many of you all have seen this picture? I heard this 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 phrase. We have to flatten the curve. We have to flatten the curve. Well, guess what? There is all kinds of mathematics involved in that. And not only uh, is it important that we flatten the curve, but it's also important that we have women at the table helping to make these decisions as to what we're going to do. Not because women are better than men, but because we bring a different perspective. We bring a sense of diversity. We might think of things that men don't think about. And so it's important that we have both men and women at these tables making these decisions about what we're going to do next. So advocacy matters for girls globally, not just here in the United States, but globally. Okay, so we have various issues here in the United States, but there are other issues, some similar, some totally different, that has to be addressed globally for girls. So uh, I mentioned earlier, who is at the table? Now, uh, Elizabeth Warren stated, if you don't have a seat at the table, you're probably on the menu. Uh, in a similar statement by Shirley Chisholm was, uh, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. So it's very important that we have to make sure that girls are prepared to go all the way through that pipeline if they choose to. And we have to make sure that we engage them in a way that makes them want to do that, especially since they have the capability to do it. So what are some recommendations for the future? Looking at uh, the document that I pulled most of this research from with the Institute of Educational Sciences, uh, the first recommendation is that we have to teach students that academic abilities are expandable and improvable. All right, so teachers should explicitly teach students that academic abilities are all about your mindset. It's not about how you were born or uh, what you know various aspects you have in your your home uh, in terms of social economic uh, disparities. It's all about your mindset. Now, when I think about this recommendation, I thought automatically of Joe Bowler and her mathematical mindsets, and she's a leader in the field in this area. So students who view their cognitive abilities as fixed from birth are unchangeable are more likely to experience decreased confidence in performance when faced with difficulties and setbacks. Students who are more confident about their abilities in math and science are more likely to choose, uh, you know, elective math and science courses in high school and more likely to select math and science related college majors and careers. And, of course, that's what we would like. The second recommendation is to provide perspective informational uh, feedback. Okay, so this in terms, you know, 
what are we sharing with students? And this is where those micro messages come in. And we have to be very careful how we kind of frame our feedback because we want to make sure we're building girls up and we're also critiquing them, okay, for improvement. So this informational feedback focuses on strategies, effort, and the process of learning. Uh, you know, we're looking at ways to give them feedback that enhance their beliefs in, about their abilities. You know, it makes them feel confident and empowered and you know, enthusiastic about going back in and tackling the things that maybe they, you know, need to work on and improve in. Uh, so we want to definitely provide feedback that is accurate, but we also want to make sure that we do it in a way that builds them up, makes them confident learners in the classroom. The third recommendation from IES is to expose girls to female role models who have succeeded in math and science. So this goes back to uh, mathematicians are not just white guys, all right? So are white dudes. So this goes back to exposing girls to other female role models who are wonderful in the mathematical sciences, okay? So teachers should expose girls to female role models who are prominent in this field, who are mathematicians in this field. You know, when I did that presentation, one student even said, hey, I think my grandmother is a mathematician. She didn't realize it until we actually did this activity in the classroom. So it's very important that girls are able to uh, look at, through a lens that maybe highlights or illuminates people within their life that they never thought that were mathematicians who are, because it's possible that they do have them in their family. So even in elementary school, girls are aware of the stereotype that men are better in math and science than women are. So it's very important that we expose girls to female role models. Uh, that way they can be validated that these stereotypes are inaccurate. The fourth recommendation that they shared is to create a classroom environment that sparks initial curiosity and fosters long-term interest in math and science. So automatically when I read that, I thought that's engagement, okay? So we have to engage students. And it was really interesting when I was trying to find a picture for engagement, I found a lot of rings, like marital engagement. And I thought, hmm, that is interesting because it brings on that same narrative. That's kind of what we want to do. But I didn't want to be biased. I didn't want to have a stereotype. So I just used this picture of engagement. But when we think about marriage, we think about a lifelong commitment. This engagement ring means that I'm in it for the long run. And actually, that, that, that engagement ring uh, has some kind of uh, context in this recommendation. We do want to foster a sense of ownership in girls. You know, this is not just our learning that we're sharing with you. This is your learning. And so we want to engage girls in a way that they're in it for that whole pipeline. You know, we want to encourage them. We want to motivate them. And it also goes back to making sure that we are providing um you know, instruction that's centered on them specifically. So it's very stereotypical to think all girls learn a certain way. 
We have to get to know those students in our classroom. That way we can tailor our instruction for them. All right. So automatically I think of, you know, in terms of gender and culture, I think of culturally relevant pedagogy. We have to ensure that students in our classroom, that we know them and we use what we know about them to design our lessons so that we can engage them. So as we close, I wanted to share with you all in the spirit of girl power, uh, this example of Ada Lovelace. So if you have a phone or a calculator handy, I know uh, when I go to math conferences or math sessions, I like to do math. And so I wanted to share an opportunity with you all to do some math. I want you to grab a calculator uh, or a phone, anything that kind of, you know, calculates something. Okay, we don't want to do it by hand. We want to use a calculator because we know that Ada Lovelace is a mathematician and she was known for the first analytical machine. Now, when we think about this analytical machine, we're thinking about coding. Okay, we're thinking about uh, maybe the first mathematical computer, which is now our calculator. And so we want to, uh, in the spirit of Ada Lovelace, use some type of device to help us with this activity, okay? So uh, you will need your phone number, all right? You don't wanna include your area code, just the last seven digits, okay? So we have a phone number here in Central Arkansas that's our information phone number. It's 501-376-8111. So I use that in an example. Leave off the 501, the area code, and just use the 376-8111. All right, so what you want to do is you want to key in the first three digits of your phone number, okay? So this is step number two. Step number two, then you want to multiply that by 80, step number three. Step number four, you want to add one to that product that you just got. Step number five, you want to multiply by 250. Step number six, add the last four digits of your phone number. So in my case, it would have been 8111. So you add the last four digits of your phone number. Step number seven, add the last four digits of your phone number again. One more time. <laughs> okay, step number eight, subtract 250. And then the last step, step number nine, divide the number by two. Now, tell me in the chat box, what did you all get? Is it something similar to what you've seen before? Tell me in words, not in numbers, please. Amanda, we, do we have any Jeopardy music? <laughs> um, I can sing some if you want. No. I am going to do online karaoke tomorrow to connect oh, okay. with people. <laughs> but no, I can actually let me find some just a sec. No, that's okay. They're they're coming through. Chris says my phone number. Veronica, thumbs up. 
Why phone number? My phone number. Okay. So those that are still working on it, you'll see that it comes out to be your phone number. Okay. So in terms of coding and this analytical machine that Ada Lovelace helped to create, how in the world does that occur? So this is an engagement activity using Ada Lovelace at the, the roots of it to kind of engage students and, and, you know, spark their interest in mathematics. How did it do that? Okay. Uh, let's see. First three and last four digits of my phone number. Yay. Ten digits. In yeah. Wonderful. All right. I wanted to give anybody else an opportunity to share before we moved on. This is my number. I wonder how the calculator did that. Okay. So this is a, 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 a activity that students continue to think about even after they leave the class. That's what we, we are encouraged to do. We want to share with them an activity that they really could do outside of the classroom that they might run home and talk to their parents about. They might, you know, get a brother or a sister or sibling to engage with them on it. All right. So we want to encourage them in a way um, that's not just, you know, the, you know, the textbook or the notes and, you know, the normal day to day activities that sometimes that we, you know, engage students in. I know all classes I've been, I've taught for many years and sometimes we have to do notes and sometimes we have to go in our textbook. But as many times as I can, I try to engage them in something that, uh, you know, inspires them to think about mathematics in a different way. And so uh, this, this activity with Ada Lovelace always encourages them. Now, I'll be honest, um, I found this activity in one of those scholastic math magazines. And it was not uh, associated with Ada Lovelace. I kind of just put it together. You know, this is uh, kind of like coding in the, in the calculator. She, you know, designed this first analytical machine. And so sometimes we have to put things together. And I know that's more work that will encourage students, that will motivate them, that will empower them, that will enrich them in education. All right, so that is finding opportunities to enrich and empower girls in education. And I am so ecstatic that you all showed up uh, on this quarantined uh, Tuesday uh, to engage with me in this presentation. I'm going to turn it back over to Amanda because she is going to lead us with the question and answer session. Thank you so much, Natalie, and thank you so much for your presentation. Um, and I love the phone number uh, calculator um, activity. That's so, so cool. Um, yeah, so I wanted to open it up for questions. Um, from the audience, if you want to put those in the chat, um, feel free to do so. Um, we'll be sticking around for the next 15 minutes or so for questions. Um, and everyone in attendance, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, next week, we will have Matt Valdry talking about supporting math from the outside of the classroom. 
Um, if you'd like to turn on your microphone now and share, share, we encourage it. Um, or you can just type your question in the chat. Um, I was wondering, um, Natalie, maybe if you could talk a little bit about um, you, uh, the girls with STEAM, um, why you focus on the STEAM. Um, I know you also focus on STEM work. Uh, if you could talk a little bit about that, that would be great. Well, thank you so much for asking, Amanda. Uh, girls with STEAM is an organization that I founded to engage young ladies, not only in STEM, the science, technology, engineering, and math, but also in the arts. And uh, a lot of times I found that young ladies shy away, especially at the middle school and high school level. When you start talking about STEM, they start getting turned off. And so I incorporated the A into STEM to become STEAM to engage them more. So when they say, oh, no, Miss Holloman, I'm not really interested in STEM or I'm not that great in science and math, I'll say, well, we, we do art as well. And so Girls with STEAM is a central Arkansas nonprofit organization uh, that I founded maybe about mm, seven years ago. Uh, and what we do is we provide students, especially girls, with opportunities to uh, engage in STEM and STEAM curriculums throughout the year. Uh, we have uh, our annual uh, coding club every summer that we have many repeat young ladies to engage in. This year we have to have two sessions because it has become very popular. Uh, so we have to do two different sessions. Um, but throughout the year, we also partner with an organization called Grow Up Uganda, where we do a um, kind of like a book study, a book talk uh, related to girls uh, around the world. So right now we are focused on a book called You Got This by Maya Penn. And she is a young lady who is an entrepreneur. Uh, she makes all kinds of neat crafty items. She un, uh, takes, takes computers apart and put them back together. Uh, she's encouraged by her family. She has several protective factors that encourage this for her. And so Girls with STEAM is a way to really engage young ladies in STEM, uh, but also pull in that aid to uh, maybe get some of the reluctant young ladies who may not be interested in STEM to kind of get them engaged and kind of get them turned on. That's our goal is to get them turned on to not only uh, math, but STEM in general. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that and elaborating. Um, there are a couple questions, a few questions that have come in. I've put them in, in the doc. Um, if you want to start with Lena Nigren, I believe. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Her question. Uh, 
would you be able to point us to some resources or lesson plans that are culturally relevant, particularly for girls, for STEAM? Okay. Uh, actually, that is a really good question. And uh, is it Lena? I am so glad you asked that question. One thing that I found is that culturally relevance deals with the actual students that are sitting in your classroom. So the best thing to do to engage students in a culturally relevant curriculum is to get to know your students, figure out, you know, what are they into? You, you might do a survey, you might just talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, but you have to be able to engage them in a way that really digs deep into what they know, what they're accustomed to, and what their life looks like outside of school. And so there's not any one set of curriculums that I could recommend because to be honest, you have to, it would differ for each classroom. You know, it would differ for each, you know, different student. Uh, I know part of my um, academia is in gifted and talented education. And we know that gifted and talented education is a curriculum that's kind of for the accelerated or gifted students. Well, I found that this is the curriculum for all students. It's the best curriculum to have. And so one thing that they share in gifted and talented education is differentiation. You have to look at ways to differentiate uh, your curriculum so that you are meeting the needs of all students. And I know in today's classrooms. That is a challenge to do. And that's why we commend teachers such as myself and you all, because it is a hard task, but it's something that can be done. It might not be done with every class every day, but every day you do have an opportunity to engage one or two students in your class using part of their culture as a, uh, a way to connect with them. So it's all about connection and trying to figure out how can I engage them in a way that is memorable for them and really touches them in a way that lets them know that you care about them. I hope I answered your question. Let's see. Oh, we have another question. Yeah, there's one from Karen North. Um, and Karen Fanning is um, offering to be a a, a speaker. Um, oh, okay. I believe for others or as a resource too, um, so people can look in the chat for her email address. That's really generous of you to offer that, Karen. Thank you. Um, and then Natalie, I'll let you answer Karen North's question. And then there's also one for Santiago in the sheet. Okay. Um... Let's see, Karen North, I'm looking at your question and it states, what do you think is a solution to scale change? Uh, and then you share with me some research uh, that you did to keep looking for funding to support uh, clubs. Tell me a little bit, let's see, let me look at that. I might come back to that. Let me think on that, Miss uh, Karen. Let me go to Santiago. How as a male math teacher, how as a male math teacher, can I be an empowered agent without taking space from female leadership? Well, you know, um, Santiago, I believe 
because you say that you are a male math teacher. I don't want you to feel like you're limited because I did a recent research study and the young ladies who were in the research study share with us that uh, their most uh, influence comes from males, the males in their life, their male teachers, their, their brothers, their fathers. And so you have a critical role in helping to empower these young ladies. So one way to empower them is to go with those uh, four recommendations from the Institute of Educational Sciences. You know, share with them uh, about mindset, take them through a mindset activity and let them know that they are capable of unlimited things. Let them know that, you know, I believe in you and, you know, I feel like there's no limit to your success. Saying those things will help build them up. Those are those micro messages, those feedback mechanisms that help shape their math identity. Okay, so uh, I would say, you know, those four, you know, suggestions from the Institute of Educational Sciences that I shared, you know, sharing with them other uh, female mathematicians that are rocking it, you know, here in the math world, either in the past or currently, uh, maybe share with them some mathematicians that are in the building that you work in, you know, so uh, you definitely can serve a critical role in helping to shape these young ladies in your classroom and letting them know that, hey, I believe in you, you are amazing and building them up and letting them know that they can be successful. And then we're back to Karen. Okay, Karen, your question I'm thinking is saying, what can we do because this has it's been said several times what can we do to have a scale change how can we have incremental change and to answer your question i believe in the power of one it starts with you all right so it starts with me it starts with every person in those class every person in the classroom so um you know those four suggestions just like i I've suggested with Santiago, I believe those things, they have been researched, they have been proven. Uh, the first two have a moderate change, uh, sharing with uh, the students, other mathematicians, the last two have a, uh, a change as well. Uh, but I believe that it really begins with the person in the classroom. You know, uh, what what do you think is a solution to scale change? I think it starts with you. Uh, and I would suggest that if, you know, you want to discuss more on that, because I know that's kind of a simple answer. I would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, I have my information on the screen. Please email me because I believe there's so much power in each teacher that's in each classroom. You can really change the world with one student, you know, at a time. Now, I think I've answered every question. Oh, Christopher, what age group is your program and do you follow up with how many young ladies stay in the STEM fields? Wonderful question, Christopher. Um, 
usually we have about 42 young ladies uh, on our monthly sessions with the Girls of Uganda. And that's not including the young ladies in Uganda because I don't have any control over that. And we do a mechanism that is a, a, a blended type of collaboration. So, um, you know, we could just look at the feedback they're, they're giving to us from Uganda. But uh, I have about 42 young ladies that have been in my program for about three years now. And now, you know, the, the coding camp is up to about 82 right now. So we have more young ladies wanting to come to the coding camp than to the monthly sessions. Uh, so if you did the math on that, that's about, you know, half of the students uh, do the monthly sessions uh, opposed to doubling that for the one week summer coding camp that we have every year. So do I follow up? with these young ladies? Yes, they actually, uh, when they get to be in 11th and 12th grade, usually they work in the program and I have a grant that pays them, um, you know, a nice little summer salary. And so not only are they participating as they're coming from fourth grade to 12th grade, um, but they're actually helping in the 11th and 12th grade. And so we try to keep our hands on them and try to keep them engaged because we know that's important. Thank you all for your questions. These were really good questions. And thank you again so much, Natalie, for your time tonight and sharing with us your work um, and what you're passionate about. We can clearly hear that in your voice and um, the suggestions that you have for all of us. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, and with that, I just want to thank everyone again for coming out tonight. I hope we hope you stay safe um, and enjoy social distancing, but also connecting with people um, in real ways and with your students. Thank you again, and we hope to see you next week.